0: Our first scripture reading this morning is the first six verses of the 139th Psalm, that is Psalm 139, verses one through six. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Word of God. Our second scripture reading is found in Philippians chapter 4, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Uh, I'll be reading verses 10 through 13 in Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, this fall, for the first time in 13 years, I will not be commuting to work every day. Roughly 55 to 60 minutes one way, any way you slice it. And believe me, I've tried all the routes. Every which way that you can think of, every time Olive Branch adds a red light, it makes it that much longer. When I started years ago, it was about 45 to 50 minutes. Now it's 55 minutes to an hour. And as you might imagine, I've not been the only one on the road during that time. I've made that daily commute with thousands of others. You know the commute is getting old when you start recognizing the same cars that pass by going the other direction every day. It's like I wanted to stop them at some point and say we need to get to know each other because I see you every day. But it's not typically the commuters going the other direction that I find myself giving the most attention. It's the ones going in the same direction that I'm going. And oh that they would all be going at the same speed that I'm going. And so with roughly two hours on the road every day, one has much time to think about things, which could be good or bad. So I've had plenty of time to ponder the behavior of other motorists on the commute and my response or responses to their behavior. I would guess the behavior that bothers me the most would be the driver who feels the need to ride my bumper like we're racing in the Indy 500. It's kind of like this person believes that the entire route from his house to work is one big racetrack. And of course, his goal is to win. His goal is to get to the finish line first and win the race. Now, if you've ever ridden with me for any distance, you'll know that I mostly stay within the speed limit, which some people do not appreciate. (laughs) And for some of those people, this is just simply not good enough. At the same time, I don't think they would be satisfied with any speed at which I'm driving because their main concern is that I'm ahead of them. They just cannot be satisfied where they are in line on the highway. Now, over the years, I have perfected some techniques to try and back them off my bumper. Kids, don't try this at home. And I was able to perfect these techniques without getting shot, I would want to say. I've learned there's a name for one of the techniques, and it's called the brake check, or the brake test. Brake checking is defined as follows. A brake check occurs when a driver deliberately brakes very hard in front of another driver who is very close behind, causing the second driver to swerve or otherwise react quickly to avoid an accident. I don't do that, okay? I'm not that harsh with it. I've never caused someone to swerve. My brake checks are not that dramatic. All I want the tailgater to see is that my brake lights come on so that that person thinks that I'm getting ready to slow down. Maybe I'm getting ready to turn without using my turn indicator, which is another pet peeve of mine. Um, In many cases, this very simple technique, just tapping the brakes, is enough to back the other person off, at least for a little while, okay? Of course, if you do it enough with the same person behind you, they start getting acclimated to it and conditioned and they know what you're doing and so they just stay there. So you have to be careful and not use that too often uh, on the same person. Now, if that doesn't work, I have been known, and to my knowledge, this is is my invention here, that I've been known to kind of move my car kind of quickly as close to the white line on the straightaway on the side of the road as I can, just trying to get that person to know that I want them to pass me. It's like go ahead and get, I'm, I'm getting as far over as I can, please go around me. Uh, And Sally, when I've been driving in Texas, I notice that there is a lane over there that people pull. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I just love it so people can go on around. Um, Interestingly enough, many times people do not choose to pass, but they do back off. Maybe they think I'm swerving or something, and I guess technically that could be called a swerve when I get over on, on the side like that. Now, if that fails and I'm using cruise control, I may just tick the speed down ever so slightly, like one mile an hour about every mile or two, okay, just to kind of slow it down without putting the brakes on, and so they get closer and closer, and then they finally get the message, this person wants me to pass them. Okay, What I will not do, I will not speed up. So they think they're pushing me faster. Not going to do that. Now, there is one more thing that I do, and, and it's, it's really just kind of mean-spirited on my part. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. It, and these others were not mean-spirited. Okay, this one is. If they refuse to move off my bumper and they're that close, I decide that I need to wash the windshield. <laughs> and so I'll give it a couple of tries, and it, the, the spray comes out. And if they're so close, it gets on their windshield, too. Andy, it's it's, it's like I was saying a while ago, it's kind of like I feel like I'm in the Batmobile, you know? I can put something back there on them. And I don't know why I gain satisfaction (laughs) in watching them turn their wipers on, but I do. It's like you're so close to me, I'm forcing you to do something now. Even if it doesn't make them back off, it just makes me feel better, okay? And so then I don't bother with them anymore. So there are some commuters whose impatience leads them to always wanting to be somewhere else or to get somewhere faster or to move others out of the way or to always have the upper hand. I will say that my father was that kind of driver. I mean, if we ever went with him on a trip, I am telling you there would never be a car in front of him. He was always going to be in front and, of course, included in this category is the person who will pass you like you were standing still no matter where you are on the road. Double yellow line, don't even notice it. A curve in the road ahead, eh, don't worry about it. A hill, it doesn't matter. I'm telling you, I've had to slam on brakes when somebody passed me going up a hill when another car was coming. It's like, if I don't slam on brakes, they're not going to have anywhere to go, and I'm going to get killed. So I've got I've to slow down and let them by to pass you and I think they really do have a, a death wish somewhere there. Now the other behavior that just drives me crazy is the car that pulls out in front of you. No kidding, but this happens at least once a day on the commute. I've asked myself before, am I invisible? What is it that you don't see me? It even happens when there's nobody behind me and the person could wait just 2 seconds longer and they wouldn't be taking my life into their hands, and they could just come right on out. But here's the deal. If you're going to pull out in front of me and cause me to hit the brakes instead of hitting you, please get your speed up and go faster than I was going. I mean, really? You pull out in front of me, and then you go slower? Come on. And it's this type of driver that if you do decide to pass them, they speed up. It's unreal. It's like you try to pass them. And, and I'm thinking, really? I mean, you're going 10 miles per hour below the speed limit. But when you pass them, and by the time you get past them, you're going several miles over the speed limit. Why are you speeding up when you've been slowing, going so slow? Don't understand that. All I can think of with this driver is that he, and it's usually a he, folks, not a she, he is either not paying attention to his speed but was instead staring at his cell phone or that he's decided he just doesn't want somebody to be in front of him. It's like, you know, oh, yeah, I I guess I could speed up and I'm just going to kind of make that person sweat that's coming around me now. And I'm just going to kind of speed. It's like, really? Oh, my goodness. Now, if we're honest with each other, All of us may be guilty of some of these transgressions from time to time. Yeah, I I got to say, I've (laughs) Scott is is confessing here. Um, You know, I've done it before, really, with the speeding up thing, and it and I don't really understand what's involved. I mean, even on the interstate, and somebody's passing you by, and it's like. It's like your car just wants to go a little bit faster. I don't know, Maybe you think, hey, they're passing you. They're going to get the speeding ticket, so you can just go a little bit faster. I, I, I don't know what that is. Uh, just a tendency, though. It's almost like we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, if you will. And so we have, for lack of better terms, the impatient tailgater and the oblivious intruder. One, never being satisfied always needing to be somewhere else the other so self absorbed they don't even pay don't even pay attention to what's going on around them or trying to keep up with others and so you hear these phrases never being satisfied always needing to be somewhere someone else self absorbed always trying to keep up with others but if we turn these phrases around what we would have, instead of never being satisfied, always being content. Instead of always needing to be somewhere else, never having to be somewhere or someone else. Being self-absorbed versus focusing on others, not having to keep up with others. Paul writes, I have learned. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. That word learned. In psychology, when we talk about learning, we're talking about a change in behavior that is due to experience. Something Paul has experienced has caused his behavior to change to where now he can be content in any circumstance. He said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret, I've learned the secret to being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him, through Christ, through Jesus, who gives me the strength. You know, my commute between Olive Branch and Sinatobia is over. Maybe your work commute is over as well, or maybe you still do spend an awful lot of time on the road every day, but there's another commute that is of much more importance in the long run, and that is life's commute. Do you ever stop on the side of the life's highway long enough to ponder what your commute looks like? We're all there. We're all on that commute. We're all going in the same direction. Some of us might be described as impatient tailgaters. It doesn't seem that we're ever satisfied with our station in life. There's always something else we want or need, and Martha and I will talk about Mr. Krabs later because she said we didn't need it, and and I agreed, and then I went back and got it. Uh, primarily to use today in our children's sermon. (laughs) We don't do well when we have to wait for something, even waiting on God. We want to take things into our own hands. We want to pass others on the curves of the hills. We want to cross that double yellow without even thinking about it. Paul reminds us that contentedness is achievable. Think about it. What if someone told you that he or she had the secret to being content in life? That's a big deal. Wouldn't you want to know it? What is your secret? Well, folks, it has much less to do with whether we find ourselves at the front of the line than it has to do with our source of strength while we're in line. Paul writes, I can do this. I can do this through him. I can do this through Jesus. He's the one who gives me the strength to be contented. I have learned to trust him. I've had experiences that have taught me to trust in Jesus. That's how I have learned to be content." those experiences that I've been through where I know that Jesus has been there for me. Therefore, I have learned to be content. Maybe we might be described as the oblivious intruder. Do we ever get so self-absorbed that we fail to see the person in front of us? We pull out in front of them. We trample all over them just to get out on the highway. When we finally do see someone else, do we feel the urge to say, oh, now i got to keep up with them. Again, Paul reminds us that we can be satisfied with who we are and where we are in life. We can learn to be content. But the key to that learning is that we need to practice it. We need to find ourselves in situations where we put our trust in action. And the more we do that, the more we will be conditioned, actually, to be contented in the strength we gain from Christ within us. So a good question for each of us to be asking ourselves. What do things look like on your commute in life? What do things look like on my commute in life? We're all there. We're all traveling. We all have life experiences. Are we willing to learn to be content through Him who gives us strength? Let's pray.